up to the book of Hosea as we journey through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the first of 12 of the minor prophets. We'll read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll give you a little intro into the minor prophets and into Hosea. Hosea chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Berakai, or uh, Berai. In the days of Uzziah and Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now when the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife of harlotry and the children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our day. And we pray, Lord, for our time now in your word and through these minor prophets. Father, that we would hear from you. And Lord, that you would direct our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. So where are we far as scripture? And I realize that here at CCMB, a lot of new people uh, have been uh, filtering into our church Uh, especially you'll see that in third service as well. And a lot of people are not getting the Old Testament on Sunday. It is very rare uh, in modern-day America uh, for churches to give the Old Testament in a Sunday morning service. Uh, It is my firm belief that that is wrong. I will debate you all day long, just not not right here. Uh, Don't email me either. I don't want to debate you there either. But the idea is, oh, we should just stick to the New Testament as the church. Well, we're missing a whole portion of God's nature and learning from that. Amen? There is a lot to learn from. Jesus said, the volume of the book speaks of me. So why would I leave out a whole chunk of that? Now, because you may have not been with us through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you may not understand the historical and the timelines that we are in. So in 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, they all have a prophet that God brought into those kings' life and those periods of time so that you would know and then yet you would filter yourself back to and find it in either Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, or one of the 12 minor prophets. Now let me make a statement, they are not minor because of their their topic, they are minor because of their length. That is the only reason. In fact, some of the minor prophets are more powerful uh, than anything else. And so we have a little handy-dandy handout to you. I encourage you to keep that with you. Uh, If you've got a mobile device, take a picture of it. And then you'll always have it. The beginning or the, the blue section there is who are the minor prophets, and it describes who they are uh, and who they wrote to primarily, uh, the area, the time area. And then on the back is a timeline of where they fit when it, uh, when it pertains to the kings of, the, of Israel in the north and the kings in the south. So that will just give you a, who is Hosea talking to? Well, he just happens to tell us in verse 1, but oftentimes it's very hard uh, to keep that historical record in our mind. But again, context is everything. And specifically, when we are teaching God's Word and learning from God's Word, we need to know why the author is doing what he is doing 
And why is God directing that author at that specific time in man's history? Amen? So that's, that's how we need to view the minor prophets. Now, look, right away, I know what you're thinking. We're going to read some stuff, and you're thinking, this doesn't apply to me at all. Right. It doesn't. But there are things that are going to apply to me and that we can look at as we will see the nature and the heart of God to those who have, like Israel, and we all have, gone after foreign gods. And so there is a lot to apply, but there is a lot that is specifically just for them. So where are we in our time when we're dealing with Hosea? Well, we are after the death of King Solomon. His son Rehoboam pursued a course that divided the nations into two kingdoms. Rehoboam reigned over Judah, the southern kingdom, which comprised of Judah and Benjamin. And then Jeroboam II ruled over the remaining ten tribes that formed the northern kingdom of Israel. And they have different names. God uses different names uh, for them, but oftentimes they are called Ephraim uh, in the north. Again, fearful of the, the people in the north would go back down to Jerusalem to worship Jehovah, Jeroboam decides that he would put golden calves at Bethel and Dan. And if you go to Israel with us, you can see the actual site in Dan, uh, which is in the northern part of Israel. It's great. There's no golden calf there, but there is a remnant uh, of the temple, and you can see that and see where they worship. And at that time, when the golden calves were established in Bethel and Dan, this now leads the northern tribes into a path of idolatry. Uh, it's interesting because they take Jehovah and they mix it with the little g-gods surrounding the nations and they come up with their own religion. And man, people love that because it was a religion after man's own heart, not after God's own heart. So man loves to take things from uh, the pagan areas and bring them in. In fact, if you think to yourself, well, that was the Old Testament. Oh, the Look, the Roman Catholic Church, wherever they would go, they would bring in paganism into the local area and adopt it. We're about to have a day tomorrow, uh, Halloween, and a part of that is uh, the Day of the Dead, the pagan holidays. Now, i, I, I got to tell you, I have a lot of problems. Anyone else have a lot of problems? I, uh, uh, one of my problems, thank you for you problem people, uh, for the rest of you who are lying. Um, I have a problem with churches and pumpkins and Halloween. I have a problem with that. I don't think the church has any business taking the pagan and bringing it into the church and saying, we're just going to put some Christian whipped cream on it. Have some Snickers. Now, I love Snickers. I think we should celebrate those all year round. (laughs) So... This is what Israel was doing. What a great example of Halloween and what the church has done. This is, this is exactly what they did. They said, well, we like what they're doing. We love that holiday. Well, we like our holidays, so we're going to add them together, and we're going to create a man-based religion. That is what the north was all about. Now, these prophets of God, 
specifically these minor prophets, these were God's spokesmen to Israel and Judah. Way back when God gave the covenant to Israel out Mount Sinai, he began the the mission or the ministry of the prophet and that that God would declare to the prophet and then the prophet would declare that to the children of Israel. And aren't we glad that he did it? But he didn't, the prophets didn't just speak to the children of Israel. They also wrote it down. And I love that. But if you're Hosea, do you really want everybody reading that you married a harlot? Kind of Wednesday night, remember in Song of Solomon, wouldn't you have loved to have Solomon have that private instead of out in the open? But this is what God did through the prophets. He spoke through them so that they would speak to the children of Israel, but ultimately we would have a record of that speaking to us. Now, if you're taking note, God again uh, sent these uh, minor prophets to the northern and the southern tribe. In 733 B.C., the northern tribe was conquered uh, by Assyria. Um, I'm sorry, in 722 B.C., and then the Babylonians invaded the southern tribes in 606 B.C., and they destroyed Jerusalem. And so um, uh, we will see that God gave them plenty of opportunity to hear before destruction came. So they could not say, hey, we didn't hear, we didn't know. I post to you, God has brought modern-day prophets in America as well uh, to speak God's truth, to say, repent and turn your ways, or you too will go the way of the northern tribes or the southern tribe. I just don't see how America can escape God's judgment. And I'm just talking about here. I can't talk about the rest of the world. And so Hosea ministered primarily in the northern kingdom, if you're taking note, from 760 to 720 B.C. Now, what's interesting about this time is that Israel is enjoying great prosperity materially and the wealth that is being generated at the time in the northern area. It's a great explosion of prosperity, but the nation itself was rotten to the core for they had problems with government and religion. They had, pro- they had problems with people's hearts towards God And this is what God is trying to do. He's trying to speak into their life. Again, the book of Hosea is interesting because it's not a narrative, but it becomes in a story form. As we'll see from Hosea 1 through 3, God is describing Hosea and what uh, God is calling him to do. But then when we get to chapter 4, which will be next week, we will see God unleashing (laughs) the judgment upon them because of their weakness, and then he will describe that to them. Now, uh, we're going to get into this in verse 2, but uh, uh, many Bible commentators and theologians have a really big problem with God calling Hosea to marry a prostitute. Uh, They say no good prophet would do that. But you've got to understand the picture and the type of Hosea is that God is Hosea and we are the unfaithful wife. Amen? By the way, you need to know that you're a dirty, rotten sinner. How many of you today are a sinner? Some of you, I don't know. So if you know that, then you, you're going to love Hosea. You're going to love the picture and the type and how God goes after 
the sinner. He goes after the wayward. He goes after the prodigal. I love the prodigal. I love the prodigal story and how the father's arms are open wide. And then he blesses the prodigal when he comes home. Does the prodigal deserve any of that? No, he deserves to be in the pig pen, but he doesn't. He, he gives him a feast, and he gives him a ring, and he gives him a cloak. All that God does for us in the midst of our failure, in the midst of our sin. So you are going to love Hosea. It will be a cherished uh, book for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me just, mm-hmm. Well, we know who wrote it. It's Hosea. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had much more notes for you. I am saving you today. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Verse 1. That wasn't too bad of an intro. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Barai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, for these are the kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So what he describes to us is who this Hosea is. Hosea's name means salvation. It is uh, the root of it. Uh, We get Joshua and Jesus out of it. So Joshua is the Lord is my salvation. So is Yeshua, Jesus, comes from that. That's the Greek of that. But Hosea means salvation. It tells us where he comes from. He is the son of uh, Barai. No other mention in the Bible of Hosea. And I love how this works. Just out of nowhere, this guy pops off the the pages of Scripture. Ta-da. And he says, I work for God, writes this book, and then what? Disappears off of the pages of Scripture. Nowhere else is he mentioned. But then he mentions, uh, so we would know the period of time. Again, Hosea's ministry spanned from 760 to 720 B.C. And in that period of time, he tells us the kings in the south and in the north. So in the south, he says, I served under Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, for these were the kings of Judah. But primarily, and we will see this, primarily the prophets were speaking to the northern tribes because those kids had a lot of problems. And so he sent most of his prophets to the north so that they would repent and come back. And so he tells us that Jeroboam was his boss, basically the king of Israel. And so he began his ministry under this. Um, Again, remember the time when he comes into his ministry. It is a, a financial boom to Israel, and you'll... You'll notice this in man's history. When man is doing well financially, he rarely is doing well with God. That often happens in the church too. But when there are troubles in the world, when there are troubles in man's time, then man comes back to church. Kind of what happened during COVID. When we opened up, and we opened up a lot earlier, and there were churches that were closed across our county for, for months and even year past what we opened up. We saw people flooding in. Why? Because they're dealing with difficult things and they want to hear from the Lord. Amen. But it's funny how it works when there's a time of an economic boom. People don't want to hear about God. 
They, they love the fact that they got this new thing or this and their fridge is full and this and that and they've got heating oil. Man, pray for the people up north. They're going to have a hard winter. Come on, man. You should give them some oil. And it's funny to see what will we see in the north in our own states during this time. Will they flood back to church? Typically, we see that. But so Hosea takes on his ministry in a day when there is a financial boom, but a spiritual, (laughs) well, it is just crumbled. They're rotten to the core. And remember, they have come up with their own religion, their own idea of worshiping God. They found it on Twitter. They found it on YouTube. Oh, yeah, that sounds great to me. I'll take a little bit of that. I'll take a little bit of that. I like that. I don't like that. I like abortion, but I don't like this. I like this, I like that, I like that. And that's my new religion. That's Israel in the north. And do you think God is going to bless that? No. That's why he brings Hosea. So let's take a look at him. Verse 2. By the way, we do get to chapter 2. It will happen. Now, when the Lord began to speak to Hosea, The Lord said to Hosea, go take for yourself a wife of harlotry. The King James says of whoredom, just to be clear. The children of harlotry, we'll get to that in a minute. So not only is she a prostitute, she she has children of that prostitution. For the land is committed, notice, great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So in the Old Testament, Prostitution was a symbol of idolatry and unfaithfulness. And since the Jews were idolatrous from the beginning, right, literally from the beginning, it seems likely that Gomer would have been, uh, is going to be this picture and a type of Israel to them. Now let's pause a second. Let's come out of the notes. Let's talk about Hosea for a minute. Can you imagine that text? that you got from God. Hey, Hosea. You know, there's a couple of cool emojis from God. Praying hands. <laughs> yeah, what is it, Lord? Well, I got a new ministry for you. Yeah, Lord, what is it? I'm so excited to work for you. I need you to go to the area where the prostitutes are, and I need you to find a wife. Are you talking to me? Do you have Jonah's number and mine mixed up? (laughs) Who are you? See, we don't think about it in that way. We don't think of it in the humanity and the realness of it. Now, why is God calling Hosea to do that? You see, if God had just said, hey, go, go preach to my people. Go tell them that they are erring. Well, he would have gave the message, and then he would have gone home. But now it becomes real to him. Now he's about to learn exactly how God grieves in his heart because now he has sympathy and he has empathy. God allows us oftentimes to go through things, and you wonder, why, are we, why am I going through that? It is because God is allowing you to do that so that you can minister to somebody else. You may not like that plan. I may not like that plan. 
But this is the plan that God has chosen, and he has done this for the last 4,000 years. He chooses to use vessels. Now, it is my firm belief that he also knew that Hosea could handle it. Whom God calls, he equips, does he not? He will strengthen him to do that. But now he becomes a voice like Ezekiel who had to lay on his side for a whole year. How would you like to do that as a symbol of what is going? Then you have to cook with your own dung. Who wants to do that one? See, oftentimes God calls us to do really hard things, strange things even, like build a boat when there hasn't been any rain. But we have to be faithful to do that, yes? And Hosea needed to be faithful in something that was very difficult. And just uh, as a man, can you imagine what is about to happen? That she will... Can, and by the way, in the Hebrew, it's a constant. She keeps going back into it, as we will see. What does that feel like as a man? So now you realize what does that feel like when we do that against God? And because harlotry is a type and a picture of us going after other gods and foreign gods, then we, we are starting to learn the nature of God and how much he really loves us. I titled the message, Love to the Loveless. Because I really don't think we have a concept of how much God loves us. There's a little bit here for us if we would heed it in Hosea. And so he says, go take for yourself a wife of harlotry and the children of harlotry. Notice as an example, because the land has committed great harlotry. That means the nation of Israel by departing from the Lord. And so he went and he took Gomer. Uh, please don't get that uh, mixed up with Gomer Pyle. That would be a totally different uh, story. This is Gomer. She is the daughter of Dibla, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, I want you to take notice of these three children that we'll see in this chapter. The first one is we, we are going to see that she conceived and bore him a son. Verse 4 calls his name Jezreel. For notice, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel, on the house of Jehu, and bring it into the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now, if you don't know your kings and chronicles, then you have no idea what he just said. You're like, what? Who's Jehu? Who's a blood? What? Does that, do, we, do we know who Ahab is? Right? He's not that guy going after the whale. This is Ahab and Jezebel, the worst king in the north. The one that Elijah had the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Gilboa, and he whipped them by the power of God. The fire came down from heaven and destroyed them. I can't wait to watch that video. This is Ahab. Well, God called Jehu to come in and execute judgment against the wickedness of Ahab and Jezebel. But unfortunately, like, well, often man does, the he goes beyond what God had declared to him and he killed and executed far too many that God wanted. He even, uh, he even killed King Ahaziah, the southern king, and 42 of his relatives. So um, Jehu went way beyond what God had called him to do. So God says, I'm going to bring judgment upon you. And so uh, through the birth of Hosea's son, God announced that he would avenge 
the innocent blood shed by Jehu and put the end to Jehu's dynasty in Israel. And this was fulfilled in 752 B.C. when Zechariah was taken out. And that was a king. And so he says, he continues, um, uh, verse 5, sorry. And it came to pass in that day, he says, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Now, the valley of Jezreel, so he, he names of Jezreel, but uh, there is a city called Jezreel from the tribe of Ishakar. This is in the northern uh, section of Israel by Mount Gilboa. There's a city called Megiddo. And in fact, there's a site that we go when we're in Israel called Tel Megiddo. This is Solomon's uh, fortifications, and you overlook the Valley of Jezreel. Why is that all important? I know you're waiting. It is the Valley of Armageddon. This is where it will all play out in Revelation. So ultimately, God, notice, I love how the, uh, the prophets uh, are. It's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. So God will ultimately take care of all of that, will he not, in the battle of Armageddon. Well, verse, uh, where are we? Six, let's get to the next kid. And she conceived again and born a daughter. And God said to him, call her name Lo-Ramah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take it away. Now remember in verse 2 when it says, go uh, take for yourself a wife, wife of harlotry and the children of harlotry. So this isn't happening one after another. These are periods of time like Song of Solomon on Wednesday night going back and forth having these flashbacks. So he is describing these first kids, but they are not happening right after another. There's a period of time. And most Bible commentators believe that these next two kids are kids from her harlotry. Now, how is that for Hosea? Raising a kid that is not your kid. And it's not like it was from a previous marriage or something and you're blending it in your... This is your wife was a harlot. Played the harlot, got pregnant, and God is calling you. Now listen, uh, this name means not loved. Now, when you and I call our kids names, so I've got Hannah and Rachel and... Andrew and Micah and Christian, we say, come here, Micah, come here, Hannah, right? And they don't, I mean, they're names. They don't really mean anything in the English and to us in America. But in Israel, the name meant something. And that name meant not loved. So can you imagine him calling, hey, not love, come here. Not love, put that down. Not love, stop hitting your sister. Not loved. We laugh, but everybody in Israel and everybody in that, around that house, they know exactly what is being said. And so now the child becomes a testimony to the nation of Israel. And notice, God loves his people, and he proves it in so many ways. But how would he would, <laughs> but now that he withdraws his love from this, he actually says that you are not loved. Again, he gave the children of Israel plenty of opportunity to repent. They did not repent. And now he is literally saying, when these kids are born, the names of what the punishment will be for the children of Israel. So, not loved. Let's continue. Uh, Verse 7, yet I have mercy upon the house of Judah. That's the south. And I will save them by the Lord their God. 
and will not save them by the bow, by nor by the sword, or by the horses or horsemen. So the southern tribes are going to view all of what's going on in the north. They're going to realize what not to do, and so they stay a little bit closer to the Lord, but ultimately they, they too are taken into captivity by Babylon. Now, verse 8, when she had weaned Lo-Ramah, she conceived and bore a son, and then God said, call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. So, the third son is not my people. Not only would God remove his mercy from his people, and now he is renouncing the covenant that he had made with him. So, in, an, in all intents purposes, he is divorcing himself from the northern tribe. So, now imagine uh, that, it, that you hear running around... Um, not my people. Not my people. Stop it. And so it's a message to the northern tribes. And by the way, wouldn't you, you know how it is, uh, gossip goes around a, a city. Everybody knows that Hosea, listen, everyone knows that Hosea is a prophet. He's got a t-shirt. I work for God. I'm a prophet. It's on a bumper sticker. His license plate's personalized. His chariot. And he married a who? And he has kids named what? This isn't an ice. This is meant to be public. <laughs> and yet in verse 10, he says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said, You are not my people. There it shall be said, you are the sons of the living God. Again, God giving the prodigal back, right? The prodigal is coming back, and God is telling, hey, you are my people. You are the sons of the living God. And then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. And we're not really sure exactly when that be, will be. It could be in the tribulation, but more likely that is the thousand-year reign when God establishes them and they come back as one tribe, not two. Chapter 2, I told you we'd get into it. Let not your heart be troubled. We will get through it. Verse 1, say to your brethren, my people, and to your sister, mercy is shown. Now, verse 1 is interesting because... Uh, God always has a remnant in the nation of Israel. There is always a group of people that have not gone after the foreign gods. Uh, remember Elijah when he's having his pity party in the cave and he says, Lord, I'm the only one that hasn't bowed. And he says, come on, man. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. There's always a remnant. God always has, listen, his people. And so he'll speak to, to the remnant here and there. But he says, bring charges against your mother. Bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. And let her put away the harlotries from her sight and the adulteries from be uh, between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the days that she was born and make her like a wilderness and set her in a dry land and slay her with Thirst. Now, what's interesting about this, if you know history, 
is that ultimately the Assyrians will come in and take the northern tribes captive. And how they take their people captive is they strip them naked, they put hooks in their jaws, and they put them on strings or on rope, and they walk them to the destination, which happens to be Nineveh in the day. Now imagine that. They're walking into Nineveh, into a foreign area, the complete shame that they have because they disobeyed God and they had a prophet, and he's not the only one that told them to repent. And so he says, I will strip you naked and expose you. He said, I will not have mercy on your children, for they are the children of harlotry. The idea is they, they go after the same thing that you were going after. For their mother has played the harlot. She has conceived them and has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers uh, who give me bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Now, verse 5 and verse 8 are tied together because notice what uh, Israel says. Israel says, hey, I'm following these other gods, and these other gods are the ones that are providing for me. <laughs> is that the case? No, God is providing for them. Let's read it. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns. I will wall you in so that she cannot find her path, and she will chase her lovers but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them but not find them. And then she will say, well, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it will be better for me for now. For she did not know that I gave her the grain, the new wine, the oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which she prepared for the Baals. So uh, God was the one that was doing the work. She, she thought it was coming from uh, worshiping the false gods, but it was she who was wrong, then God puts these barriers up so she would come back. Like the prodigal who runs out of cash, runs out of everything, and he realizes, hey, it's probably better in my father's house being a servant. And so he comes back. This is what God does. He puts up these blocks and, and stumbling. He puts up walls of thorns, whatever he needs to do, to bring you back to himself. And then when we come back, we say, he says, hey, by the way, I, I, I was behind it the entire time. Verse 9, therefore I will return and take away my grain at that time and the new wine in its season, and I will take back my wool and my linen given to cover her nakedness. So he starts to remove now provisions for her so she knows what it's like to truly not have it that was given by God. And now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. The rest of the world will see what God does to the children of Israel. And the world is reading it even today, what God did, how he took them and allowed them, the Assyrians to come in, and then ultimately the Babylonians. Now, this is just free, uh, but... In the end, they are rid of their idolatry problem. <laughs> Once you go away into captivity, you're, you're done with idolatry. God says, you want idolatry? I'm going to send you to the people who are fully loaded on idolatry. Now, when they come back into the land, what, which ladies you are learning in your ladies' Bible study through Ezra and Nehemiah, is that they're done with idolatry, but they now have a different problem 
which is almost as worse, is they have a religion problem now. Now we start in Pharisees and Sadducees, we start adding to the law and creating new stuff that God never intended for his people to follow. So he's taking everything away, and then in verse 11, he takes away their fun. He says, I will also cause her mirth to cease, her few days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all of her appointed feasts. I will destroy her vines and fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages that my lovers have given to me. Now, is that true? No, God gave them to her. So I will make them a forest, and beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will punish her for the days of the Baals that she burned incense, and she um, decked herself with earrings and jewelry, and she went after many lovers. But me, God says, she forgot, says the Lord. Therefore, I will allure her and I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. Man, the heart of God. And I will give her her vineyard from there in the valley of Achor as the door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she comes up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and I will no longer be called my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baal, and they shall remember them no more. Again, going back to when they come back into the land. (laughs) And in that day I will make a covenant with them, with the beast of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. In the bow and the sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. Now, pause. Ultimately, remember, we have a near fulfillment, yes, and a far fulfillment, yes? So the near fulfillment is kind of, they come back into the land, Ezra and Nehemiah, but ultimately then the Greeks come in, right? If you know your history, Alexander the Great, and now they be con- they're controlled by that, and then ultimately the Romans come in, and they are no longer a, a people that are self-governed, Right? This is future now. So they have a little bit of this now, but ultimately in the thousand-year reign where Jesus rules and reign, and by the way, you and I with white robes on, right? Riding what kind of animal? Okay, horses. Let's remember that. You're thinking, well, I might have a donkey. No, horse. Okay, so that that is the time he is talking. And he continues and he says, I will betroth you to me forever, verse 19. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and judgment. I'm sorry, in justice and in loving loving kindness and mercy. Now, let me just pause a second. I know we're running out of time. I didn't say this in first service, but this is amazing to me that that the church always wants to replace Israel, the promises of Israel, and put them on the church. Guys, Israel is God's people. They're God's chosen people over and over and over. And I'm okay with that. I'm the bride of Christ. I like that better. These are God's people. That's why we have an Israeli flag. That's why God says, I will bless you who blesses, right? I will curse those who curse you. We are pro-Israel. Does that mean I agree with everything they do? No, that's not the point. The point is, I stand behind Israel and God's people, no matter what. Notice what he says. I will betroth you to me, listen, What does forever mean? Okay, so church, stop believing in replacement theology. It's bad, it's wrong, and it's heretical. 
The church has not replaced Israel. They have their own place. We have our own place. We're riding on horses. I'm going to go with ours. Hmm. He says, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord, and it shall come to pass that I will answer, says the Lord, and I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer with grain and new wine and with oil, and they shall answer, listen, Jezreel, after the judgment of God. So God re-pours upon a blessing upon the nation of Israel, to which do they deserve? Do you and I deserve anything? But God does that. Oh, how God loves us. In verse uh, 23, lastly, he says, And then I will sow for her myself on the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who are not my people, You are my people. And they shall say, You are my God. Full circle. That's how God is. But God already knew who Gomer was when he called Hosea to marry her. God already knew who you and I were when God called us to a relationship with him. He's, he's, nothing shocks him like, oh, I didn't know that. Wow. I mean, I've called a lot of people, but man, you break the mold. No, God's not shocked in anything. He knows us. He knows our nature as humans, as fallen human beings. He knows the nature of Israel, and yet he allowed them to have what they had for as being in captivity, but then they came back. But sadly, guys, ultimately they rejected Jesus. And he says, okay, well, then you get another timeout. That timeout's still going on right now for 2,000 years. Yes, they're back in the land, and part of that is fulfilled prophecy, which we will get to in Ezekiel in about 12 years. <laughs> no, we'll get to that. So the faithfulness of God, read ahead chapters 3 and 4 for next week. We'll really see the heaviness uh, in the indictments against the nation of Israel in chapter 4. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your loving kindness towards us. Lord, the story, uh, the, just the beautifulness of Hosea, and often, Lord, what you call us to do in this life as an example to others. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your mercy and your grace towards us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Lord, thank you that we have a part in the kingdom of God and that we are the bride of Christ. And we pray for the nation of Israel, for the peace and the safety, and that their hearts would turn to Yahweh, Jehovah, Yeshua. So thank you, Lord, for our day and the rest of our time now. In Jesus' name, amen.